All right, well, last Sunday, we started what's going to be a three-part series on the sanctity of life, and we specifically talked about the abortion issue last week. And we did a lot of background coverage on what the Bible says and these types of things, which come into play today. So if you didn't hear last week's sermon, if you weren't here, go online, go to our website, find the button that says listen to the sermons, listen to last week's sermon. It's foundational for everything we talked about last week and this week and then next week. So last week, about two-thirds of the way through, almost to the end, I said this same logic applies to many issues surrounding life. And, and, and as I thought about that, I thought, you know what, that, that wasn't enough. Just a, a byline in the middle, not enough. There's too many issues that we may not connect with the sanctity of life that need to be connected to the sanctity of life. So we have an understanding of what they're all about. So today I'm going to expand on that topic uh, the title is, I Believe God Speaks Clearly on the Sanctity of Life. Help me to listen just as carefully. So what is the sanctity of life? And what I did was I, I started looking at definitions, and I found four that I really liked because each one of them brought a, a different set of words to the equation and maybe said things a little differently. But I think the four together give us a really good idea of what we're talking about. They are in your notes. So the first one, A, what is the sanctity of life? The phrase sanctity of life reflects the belief that because people are made in God's image, human life is inherently sacred, has an inherently sacred attribute that should be protected and respected at all times. So what makes it sacred? It's the fact that God gave us a soul. He gave us the ability to reason. He gave us a choice. We are, we are different than the animals. We are above the animals. We're the pinnacle of his creation. We're sacred. And that's inherent. It's not a, a switch that's turned. It's not something we earn. It's not something we gain over time. It is inherently there. We are inherently sacred. It is an attribute that we have that no other animal has. We talked a lot about that last week, so I'll kind of I'll leave that where it is. Next definition, the sanctity of life is the theological or philosophical understanding that all human life has an inherent dignity, worth, and sacredness that sets it apart from all other beings within the world. Sets it apart, makes it different. This perspective does not assert that human life is sacred in the sense of being divine. We are not God in any way, shape, or form but that its very essence is distinct within the biological world and of incalculable wealth, thus warranting protection throughout the course of its entire existence. And by entire existence, it's strange we have to define that now, but for our discussion today, we need to define that term. That's conception to natural death. From the, the, the moment of conception till natural death, that's our existence. And the sanctity of life says that, that that life is set apart and is worth protecting. C, the sanctity of life simply means all human life is sacred. This sacredness is not a reflection of the goodness or holiness of man because we are sinful. It reflects the origin of man because we're, we were created in the image of God. It's, it's not that we've done anything because we haven't and, and we can't. It's because of what God has done. In God's creative process, he elevated man above 
the rest of creation and assigned us a value not given to anyone else or anything else. And he, and he made us in his image. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's because of God's existence and God's involvement that life is sacred, human life. And then D, sanctity means quality of being holy, sacred, or set apart. And, and holy and sacred mean the same thing in one context, and holy and set apart mean the same thing in another context. And so it's, it's believing in the sanctity of life means believing that human life is somehow holy, set apart, or different from other life forms. Well, these are all accurate, and they all reflect a portion of the sanctity of life. So when we say the sanctity of life, we're saying that because God has assigned a value to humanity, to mankind, greater and above all other creations. Do you know the earth is going to be destroyed one day? But we will not. There is a new heaven and a new earth. The new heaven and the new earth will be very similar, but will be very different in other ways. The, the earth itself will be destroyed, but we will not be. We're even elevated above the earth and the solar system and the planets and all that kind of stuff. So in, in God's creative process, he elevated man and he said, this is the pinnacle of my creation. This is the most special of my creation. Matter of fact, it will, it will mirror me. People will be able to see what I'm like by looking at these humans. And that is, that is why life is valuable, and that is called the sanctity of life. So from last week, I want to review just a bit to make sure we're all on the same page. This is just taken directly from last week's notes. What should we say to someone considering the sanctity of human life? And so now I'm saying this applies to all aspects of human life, not just abortion. And so A, human life is a special creation of God. We've talked about it, an elevated creation. Done different than any other aspect of creation. It's a special creation of God, and thus should be valued above all other life and cared for with love and graciousness. He, he did things different. He did things special. He assigned this value. So Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We're made in God's image in that we can know about God and what he's like by looking at humans. Now, we're broken, and, and we get it wrong a lot, but even the most broken person still reflects God in some way. His intelligence, his creativity, his ability to reason and make decisions, his ability to love and care. These things are reflected in humanity. That's part of the image and likeness of God. And in Psalm 8, 4 and 5, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? For you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. When God created humanity, he took some of his glory and some of his honor and he assigned it to humanity. And he said, you will get some of the glory and you're going to have some of the honor. And the glory and honor that you have, you will turn to me with. You will reflect it towards me. That will be worship. So God has given us his image, and he's given us glory and honor. And this is what makes us special. Now, being your notes, that's a verse we didn't talk about last week. But it says, God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And in the uniqueness of creation, this didn't take place anywhere else. God simply spoke the planets into existence. God spoke the, the plant life into existence. God spoke 
the, the, the creatures of the sea into existence. He spoke the land animals into existence. Then he created Adam, not a race of humanity all at once to fill the earth, but a single man. And he added a step to the creation. He breathed life into him. And that's what I believe is where the soul came from. So God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And if we continue the story, he made Eve out of Adam's rib, another special creation. So the the creation story of man is unique and and gets extra time in in the scriptures. So just more evidence of it being a special creation. So this understanding of the sanctity of human life and a little bit of logical reasoning helps us form a biblical worldview on several controversial topics. When, when controversy meets us, when we're watching the news or, or online or having a conversation, when something that doesn't sound right presents itself to us, we should automatically go to Scripture. What does the Bible say? What has God said? What's the, what's the flavor of reasoning that God wants us to apply to this situation or this belief or this argument? And logic, created by God, always follows God's word, always follows God's plan. So we go to the Bible, we use a little bit of logic, and all of a sudden we have a biblical worldview, which means we look at the world from God's perspective, and then we understand where he stands and therefore where we stand on issues. So the last thing on your, the front page of your notes, it says, they are only controversial topics because we remove logic and we devalue life. If, if one of these things was intact, they wouldn't be so controversial. But Satan has done a lot of work to remove both of these. So the issues that should not be controversial are. Now I want to stop right here. And, and I kind of want to step out of the notes. And, and I want to make something really clear. Behind every aspect in the issue of sanctity of life, everything we're going to talk about today... We are actually fighting against Satan's plan for humanity. The Bible says that that he prowls around like a roaring roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. says he's a father of lies. He has a singular purpose. He's lost the battle. He knows he's not going to win against God. So now he is, his ultimate goal, his his reason for getting up in the morning, if that were a thing, is, is death and destruction. Satan's goal is to bring death and destruction to humanity. Anybody that he can shorten their life, that's a victory for him. Any life he can destroy is a victory for him. And he is working hard to destroy the lives of those God loves. He's not working against the animal kingdom. He's not working against the creatures of the sea. He's not working against our planet. He's working against humans. Because God has made them so valuable. Jesus came to redeem life. Satan is trying to terminate life. And when you understand that, just that much information, so many things all of a sudden make sense. Why are all these evils perpetrated? Because Satan is trying to eliminate humanity, get as few people as possible serving God, knowing who God is, having an opportunity to meet Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So back to your notes, we're going to look at six issues. The first issue is euthanasia. 
Euthanasia is, well, I'm going to give you a definition, but I want to start by telling you this is the next topic. It has been the next topic for a while. Okay, when, when the battle seemed like it had been won on abortion, we went to the next level and euthanasia stepped in. Abortion tries to kill babies before they're born. Euthanasia tries to take care of people when they're, when they're helpless, when they're dependent on someone else. And so euthanasia is the battle we're fighting today, and I want to show that to you. I want to explain a little bit. We'll start by giving you two definitions. The first definition, please note, is from 2019. It's from the Oxford Dictionary. And before I read the definition, I want you to underline the word painless. Underline the word incurable in the second line. Underline the word painful right next to it. And then irreversible also on that second line. I want you to underline those lines because in the definition, in Oxford Dictionary, those words are underlined. They are emphasized in the definition. So in 2019, this was the definition of euthanasia. The painless killing of a patient, and by patient we mean someone in your care. You could be a doctor or a nurse or a family member. The painless killing of a patient suffering from an incurable and painful disease. Okay? Incurable and painful or in an irreversible coma. Now, here's the funny thing about a coma. Nobody knows if it's irreversible. But that's just beside the point, right? The definition ends with the practice is illegal in most countries. So they emphasize painless, they emphasized incurable, painful disease, irreversible coma, and then it said it's illegal in most countries. We would, might call this a mercy killing. You might call it putting something out of its misery, like in a western when the horse is, is, has no water and it's got a broken leg in the desert, and the, the cowboy shoots his horse to put it out of its misery. That's, that's the equation they want us to see here. Now in 2023, the latest version, the, the very latest version of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Oxford has not updated theirs, so I couldn't use theirs, but this year's definition in the Webster Dictionary says the act or practice of killing or permitting the death of, okay, that's an important phrase, permitting the death of hopelessly sick or injured individuals, such as persons or domestic animals, so they're actually drawing that conclusion themselves, in a relatively painless way for reasons of mercy. So if you read this carefully, you now understand that you can permit someone to die even if it's painful if you deem it's the best thing for them. And, and, and this is happening, and it's legal in many places. The act or practice of killing or permitting, to, to, permitting the death of, and, and it's, now it's hopelessly sick. And hopelessly is a very broad word with a, with a wide range of definition. Or injured. Not life-threatening, uh, not incurable, not irreversible, just injured individuals in a relatively painless way. I want you to see those two definitions because I want you to see how it's changed in four years. I didn't go back farther, but I bet it's changed even more in, from the past. Uh, probably was never to be applied by definition to humans. But in just four years, it's changed this much. 
The first one said the practice is illegal in most countries. Well, here's some information from the World Population Review. Not a Christian organization. They're, 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 not, any, they're not religious at all. According to them, here are the countries in which euthanasia is legal in one way or another and is different in different places. But here's a list. Let me read it to you. Australia, Belgium, Canada, Chile, Colombia, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, India, Ireland, Israel, Japan, Luxembourg, Mexico, Netherlands, New Zealand, Portugal, Russia, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, United Kingdom, United States, and Uruguay. This certainly does not fit. This practice is illegal in most countries. You know, and on that list, interesting, is not North Korea, Russia, China, or other communist countries, because they don't need to legalize euthanasia. They have forced euthanasia. If you are no longer valuable to them, or you are a drain on their economy, or you cause too much trouble, they will simply eliminate you. And, and so they don't need euthanasia. And, and so they don't even say legal or not legal, but they practice it. And all you have to do is cost more than they think you're worth. So this is all over the world, legal. How about in the United States? It is legal in California, Colorado, Hawaii, Maine, Montana, Oregon, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Mexico, Texas, Vermont, and Washington. Now, it may be practiced in more places, but it's legal in those places. In Oregon, back to the definition of permitting the death of the hopelessly sick, you don't even have to be in on it. Your family does not have to be in on it. Two or three doctors on their own consulting one another can decide a patient would be better off dead, and they can then withhold your food and water, and maybe even your medicine, so that you will pass away quickly in a matter of days or weeks. And that is perfectly legal. What makes it legal is that two or three doctors have agreed. The family doesn't have to be told. The patient doesn't have to be told. It can just happen. And that's, that's the new approach. That's the new way of doing things. In Canada right now, following this definition, hopelessly sick, injured individuals, you can go to the doctor and say, I am so depressed, I just want to die. And they can prescribe you medication so you can be assisted in your suicide. It is perfectly legal. Matter of fact, if you're a doctor in Canada and you refuse to participate in this practice, you can lose your license. If someone comes and says, you know, I just don't feel like living right now, I'd like help dying, and you say, no, I can't do that, I don't believe in it, you can lose your license. It's getting that bad, and, and, and they're not hiding it. This is out in the open. The, the, the Canadians are making laws like crazy, producing, you can... You can be euthanized for mental illness. Um, Webster actually is, is very accurate in their definition. Permitted to die. Hopelessly sick, injured individuals. The door is wide open. All you have to do, if you come and say, I want to die, is have a doctor who's willing to do this for you. doesn't even take two or three doctors anymore. That's, you know, two or three, you know, Kevorkian was on the news 
it was, you know, a panel of doctors and, and several doctors and you had to have diagnoses and stuff like this. Not true anymore. Last week I mentioned some things that were not abortion. Remember, miscarriage is not an abortion. Ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. But I want to mention a few things that are not euthanasia. Hospice care is not euthanasia. Hospice care is given when there is no hope of recovery and they are allowed to die peacefully on their own time schedule. It's not euthanasia because many people recover in hospice and, and, and leave it. There are several who the doctor said, we're absolutely sure you're going to die. We just want you to be comfortable. And strangely enough, they have recovered. Helping someone be comfortable in a time of the end of life when their body is shutting down, when God is calling them home, that is not euthanasia. If you have a do not resuscitate order, when you say, when, when God calls me, don't mess with it. Uh, I'm at a point in life where I'm, I know where I'm going, I'm comfortable with where I'm going, I know there's health issues, I want it to be in God's hands. That is not euthanasia. Euthanasia is when someone walks up and says, you know what, I've determined your quality of life isn't very good, I'm going to put you in a position where you need to be resuscitated, and then I'm not going to do it. That's euthanasia. Euthanasia is, well, you're going to suffer for a while, and in order to stop the suffering, we're going to just go ahead and kill you now. That's euthanasia. And this is the next thing. It is the current thing. It is the thing that is reaching debate levels. It, it falls right on the heels of abortion. It is Satan trying to eliminate a group of people from the face of the earth. And it has everything to do with the sanctity of life. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're disabled. It doesn't matter if you're infirmed. It doesn't matter if you're dependent on someone else. You are a special creation of God. You have a soul, and you have intellect, and you have choice. You have reasoning abilities. That is what God has given you to lift you above all other creation. And God says we do not take this life. We do not take these lives. We do not take any lives for our own convenience, or for our own uh, motivations, he will determine who lives and who dies. And so that's euthanasia. The next ones are a little bit different, but they, they follow the same pattern. The next one is, is slavery, and I'm going to say modern slavery and human trafficking. Much of, much of the old slavery would fit in here too, but particularly modern slavery and human trafficking... If you believe that every human being is created in the image of God, has value because of this, has a soul, and is a person equal to yourself, you cannot participate in, in modern slavery or human trafficking. The two don't go together. You can't. Your, your own mind won't allow it to happen. So in order to participate in these things, you have to view humans as livestock. You have to view humans as livestock to be bought and sold or as a product to be consumed. You have to, in your mind, decide that I am so important and so-and-so or some group is not so important that I can make them a commodity. I can turn them into something to be bought and sold. I can turn them into something to be consumed. Sanctity of life does not allow that thought process. Because you can't buy and sell something that God has said shall not be bought and sold. 
And you can't look at someone as less valuable than you when you realize you're all in the same boat and you share the same characteristics and you share the same creator who did the exact same thing for everybody. Number three, elder and child abuse or neglect, really any abuse, any abusive situation, you must view other humans as less valuable than yourself to the point where violence and physical harm are acceptable means of conflict resolution. You have to get to the point where you say, I am so important and you are not as important so I can do whatever it takes to control you. I can do whatever it takes to manipulate you, to get you to do what I want you to do, to silence you. I can do whatever it takes so that you do not interfere in my processes and my desires and my goals. You cannot have that reasoning if you believe that every human being is inherently valuable, created by God, has been given a soul, and Jesus died for them. The price that was paid establishing the value was Jesus dying on the cross for their sins and our sins, for every human's sins. And we, or anyone who abuses or neglects someone, is saying that's not true. You're saying, God, I don't care what you did, I don't care what you think. I believe I'm more important. I believe what I want is more valuable. And so I will, I will do these things. Number four is racism. It's a category all to itself. It's viewing physical differences between humans as markers of inferiority. Because of the color of your skin, or because of the shape of your eyes, or because of your height, or because of something else that I can see from afar, I will decide you are less valuable, and therefore I can treat you and everyone like you differently. That's racism. It does not take into account that God is very creative and made people very differently, that, that the genetic code of, of all the differences were present in our ancestors, Adam and Eve first, and then Noah and Mrs. Noah. It doesn't take into account that, that any color skin can be produced if the genetic code is present. There's some interracial couples that have multiple children, and they are different colors. It doesn't take into account that the Bible clearly indicates, clearly shows that we are actually one race. We are the human race. The, the racial categories have been, have been assigned by man, and they are divisive. Racism cannot function when we see all human beings as valuable by God as a group or as an individual. Number five, we have gender, racial, and, and caste inequality. And, and these things start to overlap a little bit. But if you're going to discriminate based on gender, race, or caste, you have to view humans as something to be divided into categories with assigned value based on physical, economic, or ancestral differences. Because of the family you were born into, or the geography you were born into, or the economic status you were born into, or the physical qualities you possess. You can be divided into groups, and this group is more important than that group, and this group is the least important, and we will treat them as the least important, and we will treat them as the most important, and everyone in the middle by standards, by different standards. This cannot happen if we believe that every single human being has the sanctity of life built into them by their Creator. 
The last one I'm going to mention today, and this is not in, by any means a full list of issues that center around this topic, but genocide is the last one. And genocide is, is, is the intentional killing of groups of people. It's usually motivated by, by racism or politics or religion. And, and whatever the reason, whatever the motivation, it requires them viewing people groups as expendable obstacles to your own progress due to economics, political differences, or racism. They are expendable obstacles. Do you see what you have to do? you see the logic you have to follow? You have to be able to say in your heart and in your mind and to other people that there's a group of human beings that are expendable. This has been brought forth by evolution. It's been brought forth by idolatry, both of which require that you put God on a shelf and, and say that he doesn't exist. You have to put God on a shelf and say he doesn't exist because if God does exist, then we have to recognize the assignment that, of value that God has given to human beings, and then we can't do these things. So I have to either ignore or deny that God exists in order to practice these things. And, and two things Satan has used to, to make this possible is evolution and idolatry, and I'm sure there's more. But doesn't that make sense? Satan confuses. He lies. He does whatever it takes to, to make you question or even deny what God has said. So what is our response? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, really two things, and these two things cover a lot of ground, so I can just narrow them down to two. Number one, we need to invest. We need to invest my time, my energy, my money, my political clout. I need to invest whatever I have into pro-life efforts. And pro-life efforts across the board. Yes, absolutely the abortion issue. Absolutely the euthanasia. But in other things too. And we can't all invest in all these things, but God will provide opportunities for you to invest in some of these things. Teresa and I give a, a monthly gift to the Caring Pregnancy Center. Our church gives an annual gift to the Caring Pregnancy Center. We also, on occasion, when they have special needs, do little fundraisers, or, or gathering of supplies for them. There's other groups. There's groups of lawyers and, and retired policemen who go out and they, they try to serve those who are involved in the uh, human trafficking and slavery. I don't know where you can invest. I don't know what you can invest. But when God provides an opportunity, I would encourage you to invest. Make, make your existence matter in this area. And then number two, it seems so simple but this is where Satan tries to tell us, stop. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Speak up. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Def defend the, the rights of the poor and needy. The most obvious place... That, that we need to speak up is with our vote. When given the opportunity to say what we believe, we need to vote. When we're having a conversation with someone and we think it might get awkward because they may not agree with us, we need to speak respectfully, calmly, lovingly, but truthfully. When our kids ask us questions, when our grandkids ask us questions, we need to speak truthfully on the subjects. 
Again, lovingly, respectfully, gently, but truthfully. We should not stop from posting something on social media that stands up for God's truth and the value of humanity. We don't need to be obnoxious. Please don't be obnoxious. Look at all the words on your picture to make sure there's not offensive words in your picture before you post it. Make sure you're not going to create a new offense by trying to stop an old offense. But speak the truth in love and in gentleness. One-on-one conversations, many one-on-one conversations can change the heart of a nation. Much more so than laws and politicians can. So yeah, we will vote. And we will vote for God's platform, not the Republicans and not the Democrats and not the Independents, not anyone else you can think of. We're going to vote for God's platform. Even if it means I might suffer a little bit, I'm going to speak the truth wherever, wherever the truth should be spoken, wherever it comes up. And God will give you opportunity. God will give you opportunity. So invest, speak up, and defend. This is our calling on this topic. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being clear about the sanctity of life, why human life is valuable, how you made it valuable, what you expect from us in our treatment of human life. And Father, it is really sad that Satan has come up with so many ways to battle this. And much of humanity has fallen for his lies and his manipulations and sometimes will even defend these things. Father, some are still so egregious that that no one who's thinking clearly would defend it, yet there are people doing these things. And so, Father, that's how far we've gone and how, how great the sin is of humanity. Yet you died for us so that we could be saved, so that our sins could be forgiven. And as saved, forgiven people, Father, help us to speak when we need to speak and to have a voice, to have your voice, the voice of reason and a voice of logic and a voice of truth. And Father, I don't know how many of us are going to have opportunities this week or next. Help us remember these things. The issue behind the issue is the sanctity of life. And and that's probably where we need to spend our time talking. Guide us, keep us, and use us. In your name I pray, amen.